Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unwrapped, the Pick and Roll podcast presented by FBL Sport. Head to fblsport.com for more. Adam Webster with you once again. And a momentous week in Australian basketball as the Opals qualify for the Paris Olympics behind three victories, one against Brazil, then against Germany, and finally against Serbia. Uh, over there in Brazil, a great performance by the squad, and who better to talk about it than Hayley Wilds. Hayley, thank you so much for joining me once again on the Pick and Roll podcast. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here and talk about a great week for the Opals. It was a huge week for the Opals, and you've written an article about it on pickandroll.com.au, just reviewing the three games, going into depth on big performances from the trip to Brazil, what it means for, you know, the future of this team. And we also saw the retirement of a legend that we'll get into as well. But I want to talk about that first game to begin with, because the Opals kind of eked out a victory in that first game against Brazil, five points, Brazil were coming back at them uh, and they managed to get over the line behind Ezzy Magbigor. I'll do that again. Ezzy Magbigor's, 18 points, uh, seven rebounds, and four blocks. Uh, she was magnificent, and you s- felt like that was kind of the monkey off the back. They were close in that first game, and then they were just dominant thereafter. 100%. And I think, especially in international tournaments like these and the Olympics and World Cups, sometimes you do have to win ugly, and it certainly didn't all go to plan for the Opals in that game against Brazil. But to sort of be able to lock down in those last couple of minutes and get massive blocks from Magbagor and uh, Kayla George as well, I think it sort of showed what can happen on that end of the court for the Opals. And like I sort of spoke about in that article today that came out, it, it's sort of what the Opals have been about lately, especially at that World Cup uh, in Sydney a couple of years ago. But it's all about defence. And once you've got that defence set, you can sort of build from that. And when you've got players like Magbagor and Allen on that end of the court, it makes that so much easier for Rondella to sort of build from there. And it allows you to make probably a few more mistakes offensively. They shot 35.5% from the field. I want to talk about Kayla George for a second. She's got a habit of making big three-pointers in big situations. She made one in the WNBA finals very late after missing her first few attempts and did almost the exact same thing here against Brazil, made a, a late three to kind of help Australia on their way. She just has a knack of bobbing up in big moments and additionally kind of puts the misses behind her, which you really need from key players in key moments to forget about the misses and just focus on the next one. And Kayla's, you know, able to do that. 100%. And I actually spoke to her last year after that win with uh, Vegas in the WNBA finals. And she spoke about how it was a, a challenging season for her over there when she wasn't getting minutes. But like she has done throughout her whole career, she's ready whenever her name is cold. And, and to hit those couple of threes for Vegas was amazing. And then to do it in the green and gold, it's just even better for from our point of view, obviously. And, and it was so much fun to sort of watch her hit that three and she celebrates like she always does it. And she brings so much energy to the team. And I think that's so important too. Beck Allen was another great contributor against Brazil, ended up with 14 points, seven rebounds, four assists and one steal. She filled up the stat sheet and was pivotal in trying to, you know, make sure that offense was ticking over um, despite, you know, some struggles offensively. As you rightly pointed out, the Opals kept in the game and, and kept their strength with their defense and relied on a couple of their key players to make key buckets. 100%. And Beck Allen, sort of like that Kayla George, she's always there ready to go. And 
and I'll never forget what she did in that World Cup a couple of years ago when she tried to play through a punctured lung and a couple of broken ribs. To even attempt that is just ridiculous. And this tournament, she was great. She hit 63% from three-point line, which is obviously hard to top. And, and if you're doing anything like that, and then what she brings on the defensive end as well, it's just incredible what she brings to the team. And, and I think her and Mag Begore are the key sort of for Paris and even beyond that. Well, then we saw just a dominant performance by the Opals against Germany. 85-52 was the final score, and it, it just never really looked close. Um, they were in complete control of the game. They shot 52% from two, 43% from three. Just a complete offensive turnaround from the previous game. What was the key to Australia being able to put up 85 points on Germany? Yeah, it definitely doesn't help when you're shooting over 40% from three. And, and when you've got so many players that can come off the bench and just bring that energy, it was an exciting game to watch. And it, and it was very different from that Brazil game where everyone's sort of tense and you can sense that sort of relief once they got that win. And I think that came out in this Germany game that they felt confident and they knew what sets to run for who. And it was really sort of seeing Tess Magin hit three threes. It, it, that just gets the team going. And from there... Jade Melvin and uh, Izzy Borlase coming on and just uh, playing as they do in the WNBL and just that energy and infectious energy that really gets the team going as well. I want to talk about those two. Jade Melvin's obviously had a scintillating season in the WNBL. Um, Izzy Borlase, obviously her her Opals debut as well uh, in this big circumstance. And she really came through 10 points uh, against Germany do you see both of these girls going to Paris and do you think there's sort of one has the edge over the other? Yeah, it's like I wrote in the article, it's going to be, I don't know, it's a task that I don't wish on anyone that Sandy's got to try to trim that uh, down to 12 players. And I'm not sure they'll both end up in Paris. You've got the likes of Christy Wallace that is injured and can't, and obviously couldn't be there for this tournament as well as, Steph Talbot, who can run the point and sort of be one of those key guards. And I think of Talbot as one of the keys to the Opal's chances alongside Magbagor and Allen. And I think when you add those two, well, back into the squad possibly, it, it does sort of leave the likes of Reed, Borlase and um, and Melbourne sort of with question marks. And I, it's it's amazing that they're even in the talk of being in the uh, squad. So I think it's it's a... It just shows how tough it is to make an Opal squad when you've got players, you've got maybe six players that only fit into three spots. So I think it's going to be tough. And a really good jumping off point. I've seen often in the NBA players parlaying great international performances into great professional seasons. And even though most of these ladies are in the midst of a professional season, we have the biggest league in the world, the WNBA, coming up in a few months' time. Um, Ezzy Magmagor is, is one that, you know, catches my eye for a couple of reasons. Number one, because the Seattle Storm seem to have reloaded uh, in the offseason and, and seem to be really committed to trying to compete for a championship this season. Uh, is Ezzy Magmagor capable of, you know, taking her game to new heights and getting uh, up to that WNBA MVP level? Well, I think you'd be silly to bet against Ezzy. You've seen her... We've all watched her sort of develop over these last five, even 10 years when you've seen her in juniors. She's really developed there. And once she, she's still got room to grow on, on the offensive end for sure. And she's still not sort of attempting the threes that I'd sort of like to see her attempting. But I think once she gets that confidence in her shot, 
even though she did lead the scoring for the Opals at this tournament, if she's able to stretch the floor a little bit more and be a threat from three, you don't have to be hitting three threes a game, even just hitting one or two. It helps so much to sort of stretch that floor for your teammates, for the Opals and obviously Seattle as well. And, and Seattle's going to have a lot more um, uh, exciting players around her this season, this coming season compared to last season. And I think that's going to be great for her. She's going to have less pressure on her shoulders. And I think that will allow her to sort of dominate the defensive end and find her shot just where it comes on the offensive end. Seems to be that the WNBA is kind of becoming a little bit lopsided and top-heavy with certain teams, Las Vegas, Phoenix, Seattle, New York. You know, these teams kind of loading up with stars. Uh, and then you obviously have some great young players coming through as well. Caitlin Clark, likely number one pick to, to my Indiana Fever. I've got to mention that every single time we talk about the WNBA. But it, it kind of makes Ezzy's job... A little bit harder in the West, but at the same time, you know, the, the talent disparity between the, the very, very tippy top of the WNBA and those teams that are still rebuilding is quite significant. So it gives her the chance to put up some huge numbers and have some big games. 100%. And I think there's been a lot of talk about that sort of in the WNBA circles. And it's all about sort of those free agents that are looking for teams that are willing to invest. And when you look at the teams that are at the top of Vegas, there's now Phoenix and Seattle, New York, they've all got great facilities. They all spend money on their players and want the, the league and the game to grow. And I think that the you're seeing where the free agents are going to those teams. And hopefully that sort of makes the other teams step up and realise you have to pay and you have to invest to get your team to be one of the best in the league. For those WNBL fans that don't watch a lot of WNBA basketball, are there any other Australians that you'd watch out for heading into this season that have either made a move or will be going back into that league and probably look to have really big seasons like Ezzy? Yeah, 100%. I think Beck Allen made the move from Connecticut to Phoenix, and Phoenix yep. is one of those teams that has made so many moves, and it's going to be pretty crowded for her in her position. There's a couple of players that they've added um, that will sort of compete for minutes. But I think when you're back, Allen and you can shoot threes for like 63%, as she did in Brazil, I think you're going to find minutes wherever you go. And she's going to be such a, a great addition to that team and the talent that they've added. And they've also still got Tarazi and Griner. So I think they're a team to watch for sure, and Beck Allen in particular. Indoor sports are often played on dusty, dirty, or humidity-affected courts. Lack of grip hinders an athlete's performance. To be at your best, choose GripX. GripX is a new high-performance shoe grip spray using a special locally tested and patented formula. A couple of sprays of GripX on the soles of your shoes provides athletes with confidence via reliable stability, movement, and accuracy. Used by athletes at all levels and abilities on hardcourt sports such as basketball, futsal, squash, volleyball, and badminton, GripX does not affect natural movements but supports controlled actions when surface conditions aren't great. GripX is available in five amazing scents including apple, vanilla, and orange. At just $17.95 each, make sure you're ready to take the court anytime, anywhere, thanks to GripX. Available only online at grip-x.com.au. Should be a pretty big WNBA season with a lot of Australian representation coming up later in the year. The final game of Group A of Olympic qualifying saw Australia sneak past Serbia 75-73. This was a dead rubber for the Opals in terms of Olympic qualifying. They'd already qualified for Paris, but they still were able to come away with a victory and a clean sweep. It was a much more you know, measured and consistent contribution offensively. They had uh, six players in double figures in this one and 
only just got over the line, but allowed them to play players like Izzy Borlase, 29 minutes. Jade Melbourne nearly played 21 minutes herself. So you're able to see a few of the younger players coming through see more court time, which is super important for the development of this Opals team across the next decade. Yeah, absolutely. And for Borlase to get the start in just her second game as an Opal, that sort of speaks volumes to the to how Sandy sees her and what sort of future she has within the program. So I think that's obviously a massive nod to what Borlase is doing and then for her to play almost 30 minutes, uh, it's incredible. And she really did make the most of those minutes, not just in that game, but throughout the two games that she did play in. And I think it's so exciting for the Opals to see Borlase and Melbourne coming through. And even Magdagos still so young. We think of her as being almost a veteran on the team, but she's still so young and she's still got a decade plus alongside those those two. And it's so exciting to think about for the next Olympics and World Cups that are coming up. I want to talk about Steph Talbot. You mentioned Steph in your article on pickandroll.com.au. She's coming off an ACL injury. Um, you think she's a walk-up starter to this squad, obviously, but who does she replace? Does she just roll into Lauren Jackson's spot? And we'll talk about LJ in a minute. Oh, well, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do. It's sort of, as I spoke about in the articles, Talbot is such a versatile player that she can replace a guard or replace a big. So I think yeah. that gives Sandy some options from that side of things. And she's her World Cup campaign was incredible in 2022. We, I don't think the Opals would be would have won bronze without her. So I think she's obviously straight into the team for mine, and I think she's going to be such a key for them to. Hopefully, sort of when those offensive droughts sort of come, she's one that can slow things down and, and take the reins of sort of that offensive scheme and work things through. And I think he's going to be key in Paris. And speaking of Paris, obviously the USA are going to be the prohibitive favourite for that tournament as they are for most international tournaments. Who is the biggest threat, do you think, to Australia's ability to get uh, into that gold medal game? Yeah, well, like you said, it's always the USA. And they're on a, a different level for most of the part, but you never know what's going to happen in one game. When it comes down to yeah. one game, any anything's possible. But yeah, when you look at there's China and Japan, those two teams are both really, really strong. And China's has sort of had it over us for a couple of years now, and they got that win to get into the World Cup final a couple of years ago over us, which was a heartbreaker. But yeah, there's those uh, those two, and then France, who will be the Home, have the home crowd behind and they had an amazing Olympic qualifying tournament even though they'd already uh, qualified but I think they're a strong team that is rising up with um, with so many players that are coming through that can really impact at that international level. It's great to see nations fielding really strong teams both in men's and women's competition at Paris. You've got France, you've got the US, you've got Australia. Uh, great to see both teams sort of getting the development that they need to be up in the medal rounds. And I completely agree. France are fielding an extremely strong side in both competitions and could very well medal in both and medal high. Um, I want to talk about Lauren Jackson. We have to finish on the greatest of all time from an Australian perspective, Hayley, um, obviously a special place in your heart and uh, LJ called time. Uh, we weren't expecting that. Uh, you know, a lot of talk about, her ability to go to Paris. Um, we weren't 100% sure uh, what her expectations were of the rest of her career. And now we know that she won't be making her way to Paris, which is sad for the basketball fans out there. But as you rightly point out in your article, uh, she's retired on her own terms. And that was a, a huge thing 
for one of the greatest players of any sport that Australia's ever produced and the greatest basketball player we've ever produced. Yeah, and like I did say in the article, in 2016, her, her body completely gave out and she had nothing left to give her and that sort of forced her into early retirement when she still had plenty of years left ahead of her had her body been able to do it. And now to be able to hang up, hang up the boots after such an incredible career and it really is sort of now a bit strange to think the Ovals would be going forward without her when she's played such a key role in the last two years and but I think it is sort of shows the character that, that Jackson is to be able to say, no, nah, I've helped the team get to the Olympics, but I'm not going to be able to to get uh, last another six months and sort of make that uh, jump to the Olympic level. And I think it, it says a lot about her to step aside now and maybe let a Borlase or a Melbourne come in and, and really show what they're made of at that level. And that's uh, Jackson's career will I'll never forget some of the highlights. And I think the highlight for mine was, was that World Cup bronze medal game when she got to 30 points and obviously won the bronze medal. And just being there in that st- in that arena when she was just hitting him from everywhere and it was just like vintage LJ that we'd seen for, for 15 years. And I think that it was pretty gutsy of her to, to not retire on that note. It would have been the perfect ending, but she knew she still had put left and could help the Opals and she did help them in this tournament she she was played big minutes in, or key minutes in that Brazil game and, and scored some key baskets so I think it like I said it says a lot about her to hold it now knowing that maybe she couldn't quite get to the Olympics she could have maybe coasted not coasted through but she could have got there maybe but she knows it's it's a little bit too far away maybe so yeah just an incredible career and yeah i you can't say enough about what she's done for Australian basketball. And I think the, the other thing we have to point out with Lauren Jackson is that she's left the game in so much better shape than when she found it. Um, you know, the the talent that's coming through right now in the Opals is brilliant. The game from a participation perspective is, is you know, off the charts and growing all the time. We have an extremely strong national league in the WNBL uh, and and as we've spoken about on this episode, Haley, a, a great crop of opals currently and coming through as well. Um, Lauren Jackson has has left you know has a historic mark on this sport in this country, and you know the opals are in great great shape. We spoke before the show about how Ezzy Magbigor uh, becomes uh, one of the big leaders of this squad, comes that becomes the next big center that is leading this squad or, or big on the floor. Um, and that's, you know, been a, uh, a spot that was filled by Lauren Jackson for many, many years now. And she's leaving uh, the Opals in fantastic hands with this squad and they will be extremely strong in Paris. 100%. And I should add that she's still going to be in the WNBL for the rest of the season. So make sure you can get out to, to any Southside games if you're in Melbourne or, or when they're uh, away. So there's a couple rounds left and then it looks like I'll be in the playoffs. Should- Yep, should make finals. So it's um it's exciting. Get out there and watch LJ for a few few times left, hopefully. You only get so many chances to watch fantastic, yeah. great, iconic Australian athletes in person, and you only have a couple of opportunities to watch Lauren Jackson in person before she calls time on her storied career. Hayley Wilds, thank you so much for joining me today on Unwrapped and uh, look forward to hearing about more of the Opals and the WNBL as we wind down that season, uh, and we prepare ourselves for Paris. Awesome. Thanks for having me. 
Unwrapped is presented by FBL Fantasy Ballers League, an Australian-owned and operated baller lifestyle brand that aims to provide you with the freshest lifestyle apparel and courtwear. FBL's products emphasize a perfect mix of fashion, function, and comfort and make a bold statement in their distinctive white, black, and gold colors. From hoodies, jackets, t-shirts, and socks to their two signature shoes, the Edge in white and gold and the Threat in black and gold. Be bold with gold. Check out the FBL collection at fblsport.com today. Welcome back to Unwrapped, the pick and roll podcast brought to you by FBL. Head to fblsport.com for more. One of the articles that's made a big impression on pickandroll.com.au over the last week is written by my friend Michael Hubin. Michael, you went to the under-20 championship tournament, and that's no mean feat. There's games sort of happening all the time. You've kind of got to have eyes in your back of your head. You've got to pick and choose what games to go to. Welcome to the show, firstly. And secondly, what was the experience like of being at a big tournament like that? And how difficult is it to kind of get be across everything that you need to be across? Yeah, thanks for having me back. It is a bit of a slog. You know, you're there for multiple days. They're long days. Games going on nonstop. And yeah, it takes a lot to to get across a lot of names. Fortunately for me, I've been to a few now, so the names are somewhat familiar to me. But it is a big process to keep on top of everything, and you don't get to see every game. Um, so that's a caveat I like to put at the start when I sort of make my assessments. And, and what I've taken from the event is you, you only see so much. Um, but I did watch a lot of basketball over that time in Ballarat and um, there was a lot of talent on show to see. We'll start at the end rather than the beginning. Austin Rapp uh, was the man that scored the go-ahead bucket in the final to give Victoria the uh, victory. He's headed to Portland this next upcoming college season, currently playing for Southeast Melbourne and obviously getting some minutes as they wind down their season in what was a pretty injury-filled season for the Phoenix um, he obviously put the exclamation point on the tournament, but who from Victoria were most impressed you? Yeah, it starts with Rap. Rap had pretty much a fairy tale tournament. Um, the the shot at the end, I think they had one point four seconds left on the clock with a, a shot just to win the championship, and he was the guy to come through and and be the man. So that was a big defining moment for him. But overshadowing that was the fact that he actually had thirty two points and thirteen rebounds in that final game. Yeah. Yeah, massive tournament all the way across. And we're familiar with the name. He's been with Southeast Melbourne as a development player, an unpaid development player to maintain that college eligibility. Uh, but he showed everything that he doesn't get to show at the NBL level right now, which is his shooting ability, his size, his, his ability to put the ball on the floor and make plays as well. He's really skilled. He's got that size that is ready built for the college game. And he's going to fit in perfectly at a team like Portland that looks like to play out on the perimeter, have, you know, these well-spaced lineups. Um, so Austin will be able to space the floor. He's probably the best stretch big in the tournament, make plays, read the game and score on the inside as well. And funnily enough, you didn't have Austin as Victoria's best prospect. You had Luke Fennell in that role and he looks like he's potentially going to stay in the NBL and stay at home rather than go to college, which we're going to see a lot more from young kids coming through the system. Yeah, every top prospect is going to be weighing up the NBL versus the college route right now. Obviously, some kids more studious than others and and want different things out of their basketball experience as well. Um, But Luke Fennell, and this is the challenging thing about watching some of these games is distinguishing the best players then and there versus the long-term potential and the upside. And I think someone like Luke 
coming into this event as a bottom major has the positional size and the guard play that we've seen great success with from Australian prospects over the last five or so years. So you think of guys like Josh Giddy, think of guys like Taryn Armstrong or Dyson Daniels as some examples. Luke Fennell is about 6'5". He's a lead guard, can play the point, facilitate or score, has so much potential in his game. And he was a massive contributor for this Victorian team over the stretch as well and a key reason they ended up with the gold. I'm going to defer the conversation to talk about the third-place team rather than the second-place team because I'm a proud Tasmanian, Michael. And Tasmania, you know, had a really strong tournament, uh, I think, People walked away really impressed by a couple of key players at the top end of their roster, um, and they've got a really bright future ahead for up-and-coming players through the Tasmanian system, either going to college, the NBL, and, and you know, my bias, uh, hopefully the Jackies. When you think about the population of Tasmania and how many high-level players they're pumping through at the moment, yeah. it really speaks volumes about the quality of the program and the development they have in Tasmania because... As I said, we've seen guys like Taryn Armstrong, Rainsmith at Charleston right now, many more. But this team was arguably the funnest team at 20s. And I would say if you had to pick a, a trio or a core, they probably had the best top three out of anybody. Uh, you look at Jacob Furphy, I think he was the best player in the entire event. Absolutely sensational player. Wow. You've got Kai Savage, who was the leading scorer. He's also the leading scorer last year as a bottom ager. So he is an incredible shot creator had the absolute green light on this Tasmanian team as well. And then you have Lockie Brewer, who can kind of get overshadowed by those two a little bit, but could be a future pro in his own right. He's going to David Patrick at Sacramento State. So those three really carried the Tasmanian team. They don't have a lot of depth, but their role players really do buy in. And it was enough to get them to third place. And you talk about a guy like Kai Savage, you know, nearly 25 points a game. He could quite easily play a role in an NBL team as a spark plug off the bench and, you know, do what we've seen guys like Ben Eyre do um, in the NBL, come in, score in bunches and, and leave a big impression. He's very much of that ilk. I've heard the name Nathan Sobey go around as a potential comparison. Wow. There's definitely some parallels there. He has lightning quickness, super athletic um, and, and an incredible shot creator as well. You can, you can just give him the ball, he'll go get a bucket. Now, Savage's 6'1", is, is a little bit shorter than Sobe, so it will be a bit harder, but there's definitely some comparisons to be made there. And Queensland ended up with the silver medal at the tournament, and they also had the MVP. They did. Roman Salipa, probably the most talked about player at the event. He's someone with a lot of intrigue behind him, a bit of an enigma at this stage. We know he has a lot of potential very athletic, but we're wondering what is his next move? What's he going to do? He was the MVP. He was sensational, even in that gold medal game that they just lost out on. But across the event, you look at him and you see about the unstoppable way he goes about things. He's a force in transition. He's a really smart player as well. can handle the ball, go coast to coast. And the big question for him is, is he going to go the NBL route? Is he going to go to college? Is he going to continue along the basketball pathway? He's the sort of athlete that could excel in a multitude of different sports, I think rugby would be one that many people would sort of look to as something that he would translate to quite seamlessly. Um, but of course, you know, we're biased. We want to see him excel in the basketball scene and would have a really bright future ahead. So um, sensational player to watch and, and we await to see his next move. Outside of the top three, who are some of your favourite players that contributed for their states, but their teams couldn't quite get into that, you know, upper echelon? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, New South Wales ended up uh, fifth place overall, but they had some really interesting talent. Now, they're headlined by two star players, Josh Dent. He's committed to St. Mary's, and he's been someone who's established himself for a long time. He's played for Australian FIBA teams across different age groups, and he's not a star player per se. He won't stand out being the lead guy in one of these national events. But he's played on star-studded lineups, and that's where he really shines. He's someone who can facilitate, makes really smart plays. He's a gritty player, fantastic defensive player. He's going to be fantastic for St. Mary's when he goes to college. And James O'Donnell on that team as well. I came away thinking this guy was the most skilled big in the competition. Get him in the post. He has fantastic footwork, great touch around the rim. And he's eventually going to stretch it out as well. I think he'll be a pro when it's all said and done. So those two guys from New South Wales really impressed me. And then looking down further in the tournament, you spoke about in the article South Australia's team and Paddy Darcy coming in, and he's obviously a shooter. We've seen – it's great to see so many kids with different strengths coming out of these sorts of tournaments because all of the things that you're talking about can form a great national team eventually as well, particularly in those areas like the Boomers are about to play right now, the Asia Cup qualifiers, where you see guys that are not in the NBA and potentially not contending for an NBL championship head to play, you know, nations like Indonesia in qualifying. These kids in a couple of years could very well be there and they could very well be there in large numbers. Yeah, that's right. And Paddy's a great example. I think when we look not just at the junior teams, but also the NBL and the national team, we have a scarcity of shooting at a high level. And Paddy Darcy is the type of player that provides not just shooting, but shooting with size. He's about six foot seven in shoes now. And he's not just a spot up guy. He can run off screens. He can dribble into his shot. Those sort of versatile shooters are not dime a dozen in Australia. And it's something that we really need to appreciate when they come through. Just looking forward to future under-20 tournaments, I think, you know, the names that we're going to hear a lot more of include the likes of Rocco Zakarski. Uh, We would hope that if he plays uh, in Australia and in the NBL rather than college, that we would see him at a tournament like this. There's the ability for guys that have already played NBL basketball, as we've seen with Austin Rapp, to have huge tournaments. Um, It'd be really exciting to see a guy like Rocco Zakarski come into the under-20s and kind of blow it apart with some crazy numbers, wouldn't it? It would, and unfortunately, Rocco wasn't able to represent Queensland this time because of his NBL commitments, but we saw him last year at the under-20s, actually playing for the NBA Global Academy, and it was fantastic to see him, and there were many talents last year, and you know it's easy to compare to last year. We had guys like Alex Condon, Johnny Furphy, Alex Tui, as well as guys like Rocco, just an incredible year of talent. And this year maybe didn't have the same pointy end of, you know, high-end prospects, but it had a great breadth of talent. Um, and as we continue over the, the the rest of the year, seeing some of these younger age groups, there's going to be so many guys that are going to come through and be a lot of fun to see. And as we move into the NBL one season and then the college season, we'll see a lot of the names that you've mentioned in your article flourish and prosper as part of their amateur and professional careers. Michael Herbin, thanks so much for joining us again on Unwrapped and looking forward to some more coverage of some up-and-coming Aussie talent. No worries, plan to come. Well, that's our seventh show in the books. Thank you so much for all of your support off the back of our Luke Longley interview last week. Thank you to Haley and to Michael for taking the time out to write some great articles this week and speak to me on this show. There's plenty more content on pickandroll.com.au 
for you to work your way through. We have a great team of writers. There's also uh, an article that was released just yesterday on Aussies Abroad in Europe and Asia by Matt Hickey. Looking forward to having Matt on the show down the line. Of course, Will Crouch, our friend that joined us a couple of weeks ago, talk through the WNBL's milestone games. So you can check out those articles plus much, much more and the entire archive at pickandroll.com.au. I'm Adam Webster. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next time.